All right. Um, the last several weeks we've been talking about the, the necessity of being familiar with the Spirit of God. And, and I talked about that a little bit at the conference too and kind of what the Spirit, uh, how the Spirit of God brings us to the cross. And we've talked about a few, I, I think I've maybe three or four different times now, just um, shared some things that quickly come to my mind when I think about what it means to walk in the spirit or or stay close to the Lord. And there, I guess I want to do that a little bit more today. That, that's kind of what was coming to my heart this morning as I was thinking about it. And um, the truth is just to kind of bring us right back to what we've been talking about each week. The truth is that if we don't have a Christianity that really involves staying close in our hearts and in our minds to the Spirit of God, being watchful and careful and submissive, and not, not um, from time to time, but at all times to the Spirit of God, then, then the Spirit of God just remains a, a belief that we have in our mind or a story that we have in a book um, or something that we will we will agree that it's important, but nothing really changes, and that's really what I I, I just always want to have all, all everybody that ever hears any of these. I want I want you to to kind of be afraid in a in a right way um, of the possibility of believing in your mind true things and not actually being made like Christ. That's a, a great fear of mine, and I think it's a, a right fear. I think it's the reason why Jesus said a lot of the things he said. Not so that we live in a constant state of like natural panic or something like that, but that we use the time we have, the life we have, for the purpose that has been given to us. Jesus said a lot of things that he didn't have to say if there wasn't a... a a real possibility or a real tendency of <clears throat> uh, saying, "Did we not know? Did we not, you know, speak in your name and do miracles in your name and have you, and then have the Lord say, I never knew you?' Or did, did you not walk in our streets and and the Lord has to say, yeah, you never really let me in.' Um, so many parables about things that were given that did not increase and. And so I say all that just to kind of bring our hearts aiming at that one goal again. Christianity is not having right beliefs about God or having wisdom about spiritual things or, or about um, biblical knowledge and understanding. All those things have their place and they can be very good and useful, but without a heart that is staying really close to the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God wants to do in our hearts, then uh, we can miss it. We can miss it. And I mentioned uh, last weekend at the conference that the, though it sounds strange a lot of times to people, m most of us don't actually like what the Spirit of God does. <clears throat> we like We like the 
natural things that we think the Spirit, Spirit of God does for us. We like the ways that the Spirit touches the natural world. Um, in other words, we like the people that were following Jesus. We like when he uh, heals our bodies or provides for our necessities or promises us something good in the future or something like that. But we don't actually like what it is that the Spirit of God is wanting to do in our hearts right now. And whenever Jesus would tell these crowds who were amazed that he could multiply food and, and incredibly um, impressed that, that, and thankful that he could heal their bodies, whenever he would really get to the heart of why he came, that's when most of them would turn around and, and, and leave. And, and what was the heart of why he came? What was he coming to offer people? He was coming to offer people a way out of what they had called life in order to experience a new life. He was offering, he was saying to them things like, unless you partake of my life, you have no life in yourself. And unless you want to, if you want to follow me and find life, you have to lose what you call life. And so what is the Spirit trying to do in people? He's not just trying to call you to uh, a religion. He's not just trying to get you to say the sinner's prayer. He's not just trying to teach you uh, the, the, the doctrines of the New Testament. He's not just trying to steer your life and help you make good decisions. He, he can do all of that. <clears throat> and in the right context, he, 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 I think he will do uh, all of that. But what he's, the, the real goal behind doing any of that is, is a desire to actually save you from Everything that's alive in you, that's working in you, that's moving you, motivating you, steering you, governing you, controlling you, filling you, manifesting through you, that should never have had a life and a, a stage, so to speak, to perform on in you and through you. He's trying to, in other words, he's trying to take from your soul every form of sin and selfishness, and pride, and deadness, and dryness, and evil, and manipulation, and pride, and anger, and <clears throat> everything, again, that should never have had a birth in you, and a growth in you, and found a place in you to express a nature through you, that is contrary to the nature of God. And that's just one side of the cross or one side of the equation. The other thing he's trying to do in, in you, which is really this, again, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, is to give to you and to form in you and to cause to reign in you and fill you with and save you by a completely different life and spirit and nature and power and kingdom that lives in you, that reigns in you. Changing your nature into the nature of God. Not, not making you God, but as Peter says, making you a partaker of the divine nature. 
causing you to be a branch that lives by his sap and produces his fruit, purifying your heart, purifying your conscience to serve the living God, filling you with the love of God, the nature of God's love. And that's a huge task. That's not a little thing. That's not something you can just get by saying the sinner's prayer. I'm not against saying a sinner's prayer. I, I say one all the time whenever I sin. Uh, I, I, I'm, all, I'm all for the sinner's prayer. But it, that, what I'm trying to say is that the, the task of what God is uh, trying to accomplish in the heart of man isn't what oftentimes uh, is is presented to believers. He's not, he's not just trying to get you to add Jesus to your life. He's trying to do a miracle of, new, of a new creation in you. That's why the scriptures talk about a new creation. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creature. A new, you, are new, you are to be newly created in Christ Jesus. Behold, he says, I make all things new. Where does he do that? He does it where all things have ceased to, to, to manifest and, and, and express his life. And, or, or in the, I love the, Isaiah talks about how he wants to give you beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. That's a great um, description. And so it's important that we understand what he's trying to do. And it's also important that um, <clears throat> we, we learn to cooperate. And it's kind of what I've been talking about in different ways, talking about uh, humility, talking about the surrender of our will, talking about the need to be watchful, talking about the daily cross. All of these are different, different ways of talking about what it means to cooperate. And, and again, just for anyone who might be listening to this that hasn't listened to those or heard those. I, when I say cooperate, I don't mean contribute. I don't mean we add something of our own that comes from ourselves to this work that he does. But there is a way, many ways really, that we can resist. We can grieve the work of the Spirit and quench the work of the Spirit and resist the work of the Spirit. And so cooperating with the work of the Spirit is is paramount. It is incredibly important. And and um, one of the very first things that the Spirit of God uh, wants to needs to do needs to do in us is to show us the nature of our problem because we don't you'd think um, you think that if people really have fallen from such a high place from the paradise of God, walking with God, being filled with the wisdom and righteousness and love of God, and falling into such a foreign and contrary condition, you'd think that people would naturally and, and um, easily recognize and understand the condition that they're in, but that's just not true. Part of our fall is a fall into such a, such a degree of blindness and, and um, misunderstanding and wrong perspective that we don't understand even the nature of our problem. And the reason we don't understand, we can't see our problem is because we are our problem. If that makes sense, it's kind of like that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, the trees are in the way, I can't see the forest. Well, you can't see flesh. You 
can't see the fallen condition of man because the fallen condition of man is in your way. It's kind of like a, like if, this is a weird analogy, but if you were, if you were telling a frog that, that it had to be changed into a human, and, and, and the frog says, okay, that sounds, that, that sounds nice. I've actually never seen a human. Um, so how close am I already to, to being one? You know, what, what are my major, what, how many human things do I already have? You know, and, that, and you'd look at the frog and you'd say like, you know, frog, um, you don't have any yet. And so the frog says, yeah, well, what part, what part of me is the problem? You know, what part of me isn't the human part? Is it the, is it the tongue? Is it the big tongue? Or is it, the, is it my legs? What, what is it? Show me the part that, that is uh, not human. And, and, and then, you, you know, you give him a book on, on what humans are like and he reads it and he, and he puts on a hat and he thinks he's making progress. Now, that's a really weird thing to say, but that, that's kind of like how we start. We start not even understanding what we are and not understanding what it is that the Spirit of God needs to do in us. And... It's not just something we can read about. It's not just something we can have someone tell us about. It's something that we need the Lord to first and foremost shine in our hearts and and make us to see and feel uh, the difference, the great difference between what Adam is and his fallen condition and what Christ is and his resurrected condition and how the whole desire of the spirit is to bring many sons to glory to bring to, to to first of all open a door through the death burial resurrection of Jesus Christ to make a living a new and living way to to create a fountain that can cleanse and change these are just some of the script, the language of scripture and then to call when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Then to call everybody to walk in this new and living way that actually changes them, what changes what they are. That actually shows you first that you're a frog and then provides for you a power and a way and a, 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 a living way, a living door, a cleansing power a fountain that is opened in Israel for the cleansing of the sons of, of, of Israel. And, and it, would be, it would be great. I'm kind of trying to get to where I want to just kind of focus on a little bit from the rest of the time. But it would be great, it would be great if everybody just immediately saw that and realized that and then, and then just turned their hearts to the Lord in real humility and in submission and in longing to see what really was wrong with us, longing to surrender uh, everything that's working in us to the cross really understood that it's not just a few things, it's everything that we are. It's this whole nature that we have that seeks itself, that loves itself, that pursues self-glory and self-everything. Uh, self, self it, it, it'd be wonderful if everyone just in a flash of, of, of light just kind of gave their whole time in, uh, on this planet to, to that work. But that's just not how... Uh, that's not how it works. It's just not how pe people are just very unwilling 
to see that problem and to walk that path. And so what the Lord does, and this is, this is what I was feeling, about, feeling a little bit this morning, was that what the Lord does to help us in that path is, he, is, the, is, is that he employs trials, tribulations, difficulties, pains, all sorts of, of problems, <clears throat> trouble. It's not, this isn't the only tool in the Lord's hand, but it's one of them that is really, um, can be extremely useful in the hearts of those who don't understand their problem and don't understand where they need to go. And that's, that is, um, become something that, especially in the last, I, I think I've experienced some of the benefit of trials and tribulations and difficulties uh, throughout my life. But, but really in the last number of years, it's something that I feel like I, I understand a little bit better about why it's necessary, what the Lord does with those things, why it's so important for everyone who doesn't know what they are and where they need to go. It's so important for them to feel that things are wrong. Things are broken. Things hurt because things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Now, let me just say before I say anything else about this, that trials and tribulations and pains and problems and sicknesses and all those kind of things, they don't have any value in themselves. It's not like you can say seven problems equals seven units of spiritual growth. That's just not true. Seven problems could honestly lead to seven times as much bitterness and grumpiness and rebellion against God if your heart doesn't let the Lord do what he wants to do in those and through those trials. So there's no, there's no inherent value and goodness in trials and tribulations in and of themselves. <clears throat> but what they can do, and I think what, what the Lord desires them to do in every one of us is to make and I think you'll do this. I think you'll do this in, 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 every, in any, any sincere heart or any desperate heart. He will make us somehow see and feel that things are not the way they should be with our hearts, with our lives, with our world that we're living in, with the way that we're trying to fix things, with our nature that's ruling in us. When I was a little kid, a lot of you know this about me, but I started to have just incredible panic attacks. I started to have these seasons, not just 20 minutes, you know, when I got on an elevator, but, but long seasons of days and weeks and months where I just would be overwhelmed with just swirling terror. And, uh, and I still have those on and off. Um, but I... I, and, I, and I don't pretend for a minute that I responded well to all those or knew at all what the Lord was doing in those. But when I look back at those times in my life, um, even when I was a kid, I had this growing sensation in me. 
You know, someone could say, oh, that's just chemicals in your brain. You know, maybe, maybe it was. But my brain's not supposed to be that way. Life's not supposed to be that way. Something is wrong. That's what I felt. I felt that something was wrong. And, and that pursuing outward pleasure and pursuing, tr- trying to just distract myself or, or, or fill myself with all kinds of other purposes, th- there, was, there was something wrong with me. There was something wrong with life, you know? There was something, if God is good and if heaven is real and if spiritual life can overcome natural life, then, then something is still wrong. It, it, no matter what, no, what, no, no matter what um, way you look at that problem, you know, naturally, spiritually, demons, chemicals, uh, brain issues, something's wrong. And and nothing that I could reach for, nothing that I could find in the world, fixed it for me. N- nothing took it away. And. and and that's just that's just a an example. I don't know where to draw the line, you know, about like I know I, I'm not trying to say that every single pain and every single problem that you have is given to you by God in order to teach you these lessons. I don't I don't know where to draw that line. If I broke my leg, I would put a cast on it. I can tell you that. But I do know that the the experiencing of trials and difficulties and pains, and insecurities, and fears, and anger, and discomfort, and distress, and dryness, and deadness, all of those things can be and have been in my life used by God in in two really very specific ways. They've been used by God to show me that something is wrong. Something's wrong with me. Something's not the way it should be. In me, in my world, in my nature, something's alive in me that should be dead. Something's dead in me that should be alive. Something's wrong. And and, and having felt that and been convinced of that, um, then this other thing also starts to kind of awaken in me. And that is the, the feeling or the conviction or the awareness that turning to the Lord is the only real way out. That only the Lord. There might be ways to take away the outward problem. There might be other attempts to put band-aids on this or just to distract me from the, the trouble or, the, or the, the distress. But only the Lord can offer me the real way out of it. And, and when you begin to see that and when you begin to feel that and when you start to understand that most, not, not all the time, again, I don't know where to draw the line, but a lot of the time when things hurt, it, it's for for I don't want to keep trying to to qualify myself. You guys understand I think that that I don't I don't pretend to put everything in a very specific category. But when when 
when things, when things hurt, when there's pain, when there's distress, when there's fear, when there's anger, when something, when, when something rises up in me and, and, and there's a burst of, of selfishness or a burst of discontent or, or there's a slimy thought or an overpowering fear or something like that in me, I've learned to see those things as arrows little fingers that are pointing to something in me that's alive, that shouldn't be being completely destroyed, crushed, overcome, thrown into despair by those <coughs> distresses, by those, by those pains or, or, or problems. Something, again, is alive in me that shouldn't, be that way. Something is dead in me that should be alive. Something's wrong. And 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 to live like that, to, to bump into, to, to walk through your day and to bump into pains, difficulties, confusions, trials, um, things that cross your will, things that anger your emotions. And to, to see those as little flags that go up in your heart that say, things should not be this way. This should not have such power over me. To be honest about it and then to run to the Lord and say, what is this? Show me what this is. We've talked about this before on other occasions. I can't really remember how much we've talked about it. But in the Old Testament, when when someone found something wrong on their body or in their house, like a mold growing on their wall or some kind of a sore or a weird looking scab or their hair started falling out or all of these these things that you can read about, particularly in the book of Leviticus, there was always one thing that they were supposed to do when that happened. They They were always supposed to bring it to the high priest. They were always supposed to take that thing and not cover it up, not hide it. Because that was, of course, always the, who wants to go show a high priest some gross sore on your arm? That could be leprosy, it could be contagious, could spread throughout the whole camp. But who wants to go and just show that thing to the high priest? You know, What a strange thing to do. Why didn't the Lord just say, like, if you have this and you want to get it cured, mix together these three herbs and it'll take care of it every time, you know? Or just pray this prayer and it'll go away. But that's not the picture he wanted to paint. That's not, the, that's not the story he wanted us to read. The story he wanted us to read was that every time everything was something was wrong, there was some, some plague, some sore, some sickness, some mold growing on a vessel. These are strange pictures. If you see, this is what the Lord says. If you see this mold growing on a vessel, go run and show it to the priest, you know? Why not just scrub it off? No, go take it to the priest. Why? Because we don't know what it is. We don't know what, it, what it's doing. We don't know why it's there. We don't know what's wrong. We don't know the way to, to find a solution to it. And that is what the heart, it's a, just a perfect picture of what the Lord is wanting us to do and giving us the opportunity to do every single day of our lives. Lord, I feel this thing. It's, it's kind of like this, this discomfort, this anger I feel towards this person. 
run to the high priest, run to the priest and show that to him. Lord, I feel this constant fear, this insecurity that's always, always constraining and controlling what I'm doing. Run to the high priest. Show it to him. Don't hide it. Don't bury it. I've got something growing on my vessel, Lord. It's, it's green. It's getting bigger. Go take it to the high priest. And what will happen if you do that? Then every pain and every distress and every trial and every tribulation will become to you an opportunity for the Lord to, to show you both the problem and the solution. Then every day's amount of trials, every uncomfortable, painful, annoying, boring, dissatisfying, dead, scary thing becomes an opportunity for your heart to interact with Jesus Christ. And then that thing is not wasted. And you can count it all joy when you bump into trials, temptations, and tribulations of every kind. I, I want to look at some of those verses here before I stop, but but this is why there's a there's a scripture not a scripture there's a there's a passage in in um, in uh, William Law's books uh, this spirit of prayer that I I think about so often because it's it's come to mean so much to me. It's where he starts talking about how if you can just realize that God is wanting to do this thing in you, and that every trial and pain of your life if it's used wisely and correctly, can, will only bring you to the one who wants to save you from it and fill you with himself. And that, that's God's agenda and that's God's plan and that's God's purpose. If that has actually become a reality in your heart, then he says this phrase, then every day has lost its evil. There goes every evil. Why? Because every good thing in your life is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to praise him. And every bad thing in your life is an opportunity to run to him and to be freed more and more from that problem, the cause of it, the root of it, the nature of it. Every day's loss, it's evil. If our hearts are just bent on that one thing, there's a reason why things hurt. Every day then, has a new purpose. You see, every day, every day is a school day, you could say. If you, if you can just look at it that way. No matter what it is, today is painful. Today is boring. Today, God feels a million miles away. Today, I don't want to do this thing that I have to do. It doesn't matter what it is. Every day is a school day. Every day is an opportunity. Every day is a new Day that's lost its evil and every trial and every pain has a new name and that name is your friend. Because it brings you to the high priest, if you let it, to say, what is this thing that's working in me? What is it? Why is it there? Why is it still there? Why did I start feeling it when I was three and now it's even bigger? Why am I so scared all the time of nothing? Why am I so angry? Why, why does spiritual life seem so boring to me? Why am I depressed? What, is, what are these things? And, I, and again, I'm not saying that there's no natural thing involved in that. But I am saying you'll never know what it really is or why it's there unless you bring it to the priest. 
And that's why I think, and now let's look at some verses. I think that's why, having said all that, I think that's why James can say, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy, he says. Uh, Romans chapter 5. says, by faith, we have access into this grace in which we stand rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, a testing. That, that word in some people's uh, Bibles, they say like, proven character or something like that. But really it's it's the word a test, a trial. And that produces hope. And and hope doesn't ever disappoint you. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit who was given to us. There's a solution, that's why. There's an answer, that's why. There's someone to to turn to, to run to. There's, a, there's an answer. Uh, one more, maybe. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. I love this one. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us, Again, what a challenge to think of light affliction. Well, he's not, I mean, he, what he's calling light affliction is not what most people would call light affliction. But our light affliction is actually working for us. It's our friend. It's on our side. It's useful. It's a tool in the hand of God. But there's conditions. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And here's the condition. While we do not look at things which are seen, but look at things which are not seen. I used to always try to get out of everything that was hard. That, that's just a natural, that's a natural thing, I think, for our, our fallen nature. I used to try to always escape trials and sufferings. But now... I think there is wisdom for us, wisdom for all of us. And I don't, again, I'm not going to say that again. There's wisdom in keeping the wound open. That's, that's a Pennington phrase that I'm borrowing. He says, when you feel the wound, keep it open until the Lord comes, until the good Samaritan comes and pours oil and wine in it. Keep it open until you know what it is. There might be a natural way to, to relieve it. There might be something that maybe has nothing. That, you know, when a lot of times 
when they took something to the high priest, the high priest said, you know what, that's just a scab. You're, you're okay. Go back to your house. It's not anything contagious. That's not going to grow. It's just a, it's not, not a problem. Or, or there's a natural remedy for it. Maybe there is a, a solution, but maybe by keeping that wound open, the Lord's going to show you that the only way to heal it is an experience of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to heal it is by making you into something new, by putting off something that's old. One last verse that I, I, I think is just really, um, really neat, and then I'll close. <coughs> So he's he's talking in Hosea chapter two about um, how how the, the how Israel is turned away and how how the whole story of Hosea you know is about Hosea is told to take this wife of harlotry and how she kind of represents Israel always turning their heart away from from God and how God says that he's going to to deal with Israel for their harlotry and and for their turning away from him and for all the ways that she's decked herself with the jewels of other things that she's loved, other lovers. And and then he says this, Behold, therefore, I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak comfort to her and I will give her her vineyards from there. And I will give her, this is the part that I love, the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now, if you look up that word Achor, if you have on your, on your phone or whatever, a Bible app, and you click on the word Achor, and it pulls up the, the meaning of that word, it's actually the word trouble. It's the word problems. That's really what it means. It, because Achan, the one it's named after, was when... when he, uh, he came before Israel. Joshua called him a troubler, a problem, a troubler of Israel. And that's kind of, they named the, the Valley of Achor after Achan because he brought a big problem to himself and to Israel. And, and uh, just that language there. I will, I will lead her into the wilderness and I will give her vineyards from there and the Valley of Trouble will become her door of hope. So I'll, I'll stop with that.